Hello there, and welcome to the Holy Awkward Silence podcast, where we talk about how we partner with God to grow in our faith. My name's Jeremy, and this episode, we'll be discussing the need to preach the gospel to the poor. But, but before I get into that, I want to take a moment to say thank you to all of those who have been praying for and who have been financially contributing to the podcast. Your support is appreciated and really helps us to continue to be able to put out our, our, our podcast. So we thank you so much uh, for your willingness to, to pray for us and to financially support the podcast and, and the work that we do here. So with that in mind, uh, please take a moment to listen to how you can help support the Holy Awkward Silence podcast. I'd like to send a big thank you to all the listeners of the Holy Awkward Silence podcast. You've all been a tremendous blessing as I've gotten encouraging words from you about the podcast. If you're interested in helping to support the podcast, here are a couple of different ways that you can do that. Number one, you can help support us financially. Your support helps to support the time, energy, and resources needed to make the podcast go. You can give financially by going to anchor.fm backslash holy awkward silence. At the top of the page, you will see a button that says support. Click it, and it will allow you to set up monthly contributions. The second way you can help is to share the podcast with your friends. Word of mouth is a great way to help out the podcast grow. You can do so easily by clicking the share button and inviting others to listen to the podcast on your social media feeds. Third, you can help us out by praying. Pray that people will find the podcast, will listen, and will grow in their faith. Thanks so much for listening, and don't forget to help out the Holy Awkward Silence podcast in whatever way you can. And welcome back to the Holy Awkward Silence podcast. For those of you who aren't aware, I'm new to the Free Methodist Church. One of the things that I've been doing to acclimate myself to it is by taking a polity and history course for the Free Methodist Church. I've been doing a lot of reading about the history and development of the denomination. And one of the things that's been most impressive to me uh, is the focus early on for the denomination of giving uh, given to helping uh, and preaching the gospel to the poor. It was a real focus of John Wesley, who was the founder of Methodism, and of B.T. Roberts, who was so fed up with rich people being able to purchase pew space in the Methodist Episcopal churches, uh, and thereby alienating the poor, that the free Methodist denomination was born. Now, there are certainly other factors uh, to B.T. B. Roberts and others stepping away from the Methodist Episcopal Church, like uh, not being willing to take a solid stance against slavery. But his heart and his love for the poor and disenfranchised really was a large part of why the Free Methodist, Free Methodist Church exists today. That's been huge for me in helping me want to connect uh, with the Free Methodists and the community that I live in, the poverty rate, poverty rate is right around 25% of the people living there being under the poverty line. And that's done exactly what you might think to the community. Addiction, hopelessness, joblessness, blight, and limited access to mental health uh, treatments 
uh, are just a small portion of the things that are struggles within the, the context of, of this community that uh, I live in and minister in. Uh, the ministerium here, we're having conversations about how to better engage with the community to help alleviate these issues, to move beyond treating the symptoms towards finding ways to help deal with the root causes of these issues in our community. And I have to say, I'm really excited to be a part of a denomination whose tradition and history of caring so much about the poor is really a part of the fabric of who they are. Instead of ignoring the problem or running away from it, it's a problem that we need to take head on knowing that it's going to be hard, that it's going to be messy, and it's going to take a lot of time, energies, and resources to combat. And we need to recognize that nothing ever gets fixed when we run away from the problem or when we fail to acknowledge the problem even exists. So I ask, how do we remember the poor? How do we care for them well? How do we engage this issue with love and with hope? When I think about this, I think back to uh, the 1850s in New York City. Wealthy churches were moving out of difficult neighborhoods to more upscale neighborhoods that felt more safe and secure. They moved from lower Manhattan, leaving many residents who were unchurched, uh, to go to upper Manhattan, where they felt a stronger sense of safety and security. Many of those churches lost sight of the poor, and they chose comfort and security over helping or working with those who were in poverty. And then entered this guy named Jeremiah Lamphere, who was a cloth merchant that became a Christian, and he uh, continued to reside in lower Manhattan. And he was offered a position as a lay missionary in a church that had an entrance on Fulton Street. He closed down his business and he accepted his position with uh, with having absolutely no experience for the position at all. He spent his time in his community. He was passing out tracts. He visited businesses. Uh, He encouraged hotels to send guests to the churches on Sunday. And he invited children to Sunday school. What he found he was most at peace doing was praying. So he would spend time, significant amounts of time, in prayer. After some time, Jeremiah decided to set up a noon prayer meeting for local businessmen when businesses were typically closed for lunch. So he made up some flyers and put out a sign in front of the church, and the flyer simply read, Wednesday, prayer meeting from 12 to 1 o'clock. Stop 5, 10, or 20 minutes, or the whole time, as your time admits. Now, on the appointed day of Wednesday, September 23rd, 1857, At that appointed time, 12 o'clock noon, Jeremiah Lamphere found himself all alone in prayer. After 30 minutes, one man came to pray, and by the end of the hour, there were a total of six of them praying. The next week, there were 20 people, and the week after that, there were 40. By October, the prayer meeting moved from weekly to daily, and by January of 1858, They added another room for the overflow of people that were coming to pray. By February, they added a third room by prayer, or third room for prayer. 
By this time, there were now 20 such prayer groups meeting throughout the city. Six months after Jeremiah Lanfear began his prayer meeting, the Burton Theater, capable of holding 3,000 people, was filled for regular prayer meetings. By the end of March 1958, 10,000 people were gathering daily to pray in the city. Prayer meetings then began to pop up all over the country. That little prayer meeting that began with a man who had absolutely no experience for his position started what became known as the Fulton Street Revival that lasted from 1857 to 1859. It estimated that nearly one people or one million people converted to Christianity during that time. Jeremiah Lanfear was a man who discovered a passion for prayer. The passion for prayer was a catalyst for change in the lives of a million people, many of which were poor. Lanfear found what he was supposed to do. He did it and God used him. Jeremiah was a man who understood that you couldn't run away from the problems in a community. He understood that you couldn't abandon that community and expect any change, any transformation to happen to it. So Jeremiah stayed and he answered the call from God to do the ministry that he was called to do. He started a prayer meeting and a million people maybe more, gave their lives to following after Jesus Christ. Now, when I think about reaching out to the poor in our community, um, I think about this story. And while I certainly don't have the same expectation that things will work out exactly as they do for Jeremiah, Jeremiah Lanfear, I am encouraged that when we choose to face problems head on, and we come to it first with an attitude of prayer, we can begin then to figure out exactly what it is that God is calling us to do in our community for those who are indeed marginalized, who are indeed feeling hopeless, for those who are feeling the, the shame and the guilt of, of addiction. We have the capacity to be able to, to step into, build relations, relationships with and invest in people who are in desperate need of healing, of hope, uh, of purpose. And we have the, the ability to, as the church, find avenues by which we can, as Jesus did, love our neighbors. And that takes me to a passage in Galatians from Galatians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Bartimus the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, 
the very thing that I had been eager to do all along. Just prior to this, Paul had gone to James, Peter, and John to make sure the gospel that he was preaching was the true gospel, the right gospel. And as they met together, it was clear that Paul had been entrusted with the gospel and the task of preaching it to the Gentiles, as Peter was responsible for taking the gospel to the Jews. Paul and Barnabas were responsible for taking it to the Gentiles. Each of them was responsible for doing what they were entrusted with doing. They were entrusted with very different tasks, but each task was entrusted to them to build the kingdom of God. They each had a part to play in partnership with God to build the kingdom. Their roles were different, but their end goal was the same. The kind of mutual respect and understanding, or this kind of mutual respect and understanding, is significant to us because it reminds us that even though we may have differences in calling or differences in methodology in achieving that calling, it's important that we recognize that all of us who are believers in Jesus are called to the same kinds of tasks. Those tasks can be summed up in the great command, commandment, which can be found in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. And then the Great Commission, which is found in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is pretty simply summed up in the phrase, love God, love people, and make disciples. It's no coincidence at all that the phrase love God, love people, make disciples is displayed prominently on the Free Methodist Church's website. In my short time as part of the Free Methodist Church, it's pretty clear to me that this is the very DNA of the denomination. Paul, Peter, and the other, Paul, Peter, and the others understood that their audience was different, but their goal was the same. It was to see the kingdom of God grow, and they were committed to the idea that they were to love God with the whole of their being, to love others, and to boldly go into the world and to make disciples. The audience was different, but the goal was the same. This is really important for us to wrap our heads around because there are meaningful implications for us in this, for our church and for our community. First, we need to understand that as individuals, we all have a role to play in building the kingdom. You are uniquely, uh, uniquely situated in your neighborhood, in your job, or in your specific relationships. No one else has the relationships that you do, nor do they have access to the resources, passions, gifts, or talents, or the time that you do. God is asking each of us to boldly step into those opportunities because they are uniquely ours. Your neighbor, your coworker, might not have other Christians in their lives to point them to Jesus. And in the community of Catanning, Pennsylvania, where I work, where I, I, I minister, again, there's this poverty rate of 25%. And there's a really good chance that someone in this community that you know right now is struggling to make ends meet. You have a unique opportunity 
to care for the poor, and to preach the gospel right where you are. You might find that others in your neighborhood might share a passion for a particular ministry, but need someone to bring them all together because they're too scared to go it alone. Our passions are good indicators of the places that uh, we, God would like to use us. Our passions aren't accidental. When we care deeply about something, it usually means there's a way that God can use us by tapping into that passion. But not, not all of us have the same passion and calling. Paul was called to the Gentiles, and he was passionate about that ministry. Peter was called to the Jews and was, was passionate about that ministry. Our passions may be different, but we're all called to the same goal, to build the kingdom of God. So then I ask, what are you passionate about that God may want to use you to meet a deep need in your community? What are you passionate about that would allow you to step into the world of helping the poor, the marginalized in your community? Second, this is significant to us because it helps us to see that different churches in our community are meant to support one another in their work instead of competing with one another. Churches are often quick to set themselves up as competition to other churches or to unfairly compare themselves to one another. This is a dysfunctional way to see other churches and ministries in our community. Just as Peter and Paul extended the right hand of fellowship to one another with the understanding that each of them has a role to play in building the kingdom, we must also extend the right hand of fellowship to others in our community who are seeking to do the same. So when we see the problem of poverty in our community, the way forward is together as the body of Christ supporting one another in the work that we do instead of trying to compete or hoard resources. This work is done best when the church stands together to do the work that needs to be done. Each church is a local expression of the command in Hebrews 10, 25, to not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. They have their own history, their own traditions, their own theological and doctrinal commitments and methodology, but they're all gathering and ministering for the same reasons that we are, because they love God, because they love people, and they're going or wanting to make disciples. Instead of thinking about other churches in our community as competition or in the worst possible way as the enemy, it would be to our benefit and theirs to put aside petty differences in favor of extending the right hand of fellowship with the understanding that building the kingdom of God is our priority. And in this community of Catanning and Armstrong County, we cannot deal with the poverty issue without one another. Other churches in our community will reach different people in different ways, just as we hope to reach people with the work that we do. The world around us is changing. Our churches don't have the same type of security that they used to have for a variety of different reasons. The way forward for our churches is to find out what God is calling us to do and do it while supporting other churches and their calling. 
more personally, we need to discover the things God is calling our church to do and then support other churches in our community in their calling. An attitude of isolationism from other churches isn't just problematic, it's contrary to how God would have us treat each other. The growth of the kingdom of God in this community is intertwined with how we treat other Christians and by extension, how we treat other churches. I truly believe the issues surrounding poverty in our communities can be dealt with best in partnership together with other churches and in partnership with those who have a vision for compassion and restoring human dignity for every person that lives in our community. When we don't get along, when we compete, when we're petty, the world sees it and will be driven further from Jesus instead of drawn closer to him. After all, John 13, 35 tells us that we will, we will be known as disciples of Jesus by our love for one another. That's something we need to take very seriously as we think about how we interact with our brothers and sisters in Christ and as we think about how we are to engage those who don't know Jesus, particularly as we think about the poverty issue. If we are known as disciples of Jesus by how we love one another, then we really need to make sure we are really and truly loving one another, regardless of which church we go to. So then who are the people or churches that you can love more, thir- uh, more fully? Thirdly, as Paul and Peter agreed on their specific ministry tasks, they both recognized the need to care for the poor. One thing that both Jews and Gentiles had in common was the poor. Both were eager to care for them, and this needs to be our stance as well. Again, each individual and each church needs to figure out how best to engage with the poor, but the poor must be engaged. Jesus had a great deal to say about caring for the poor, and it needs to be a priority for us as well. Again, this needs to be addressed on two levels. We have an individual responsibility to help care for the poor. In what ways are you stepping into that responsibility? There are lots of ways to do so. If you're looking for some ways to care for those in need in Armstrong County, let me know, and we can talk about where our passions might meet that deep need. We also have a corporate responsibility as the body of Christ to care for the poor in our community. Our church had a responsibility to reach out to and take care of those in need in this community. It was a priority for Paul, Peter, and the others, and it needs to be a priority for us in our church as well. Again, there are a number of different ways we can go about this, but it needs to be at the forefront of our thinking as we consider how we are reaching out and investing in our community. Jeremiah Lanfear was passionate about prayer and reached out to his community by starting a prayer group. Those prayer meetings began to transcend individual churches, and many people found Jesus as a result. John Wesley modeled it and preached it as the Methodist Church was founded, and B.T. Roberts, founder of the Free Methodist Church, founded it with reaching the poor in mind. There are all kinds of options that are available to us today. You can sponsor children, donate to local nonprofits, give food or resources to food banks, support ministries that work specifically with those in poverty, or volunteer to feed the homeless. Again, 25% of the population of Catanning, Pennsylvania lives below the poverty line. That means that out of nearly 4,000 people, almost 1,000 people 
are living in poverty. That is a thousand of our friends, family members, neighbors, co-workers, struggling to find a way to make it day by day. As the church, we must seek to find ways to help those that are in need. That's what Paul did, what Peter did, and what men and women like Jeremiah Lamphere, John Wesley, and B.T. Roberts has done since the inception of the church. They saw needs and stepped into them by answering God's call to serve. May we love our neighbor well by going and doing likewise. Thanks so much for listening to the Holy Awkward Silence podcast. I'd like to close this episode with a Franciscan benediction. May God bless you with discomfort. Discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships. Discomfort so that you will live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger. Anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people. Anger so that you will work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears. Tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, starvation, and war. Tears so that you will reach out to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with foolishness. Foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world. Foolishness so that you will do what others claim cannot be done. Amen. Thank you.